You are listening to The Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number, wait for it, wait for it, 100. This is The Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At The Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing. You should do. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Scott Wellens, and I am your host of The Best in Wealth Podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, an educator, and a wealth advisor, and today's episode is Bitcoin mania, and it's episode 100, which I'm going to get to a little bit before the end of the show, but even before we get to the topic of the day, I want to talk about something that happened hundreds of years ago. In 1593, tulips, yeah, the flower, they were brought from Turkey and introduced to the Dutch. I know you're already thinking, Scott, what, what, are, you, what are you getting at here? I... I'm in a financial podcast. Why are you talking about tulips? Trust me, this is going to all come together. The novelty of the new flower made it widely sought after, and therefore, it was pretty expensive. And after a time, the tulips, they contracted this, this non-fatal virus known as a mosaic, which it didn't kill the tulips. It made them much cooler. It, it caused these flames of color to appear upon the petals. And the color patterns, well, they came in a variety, increasing the rarity of an already unique flower to the Dutch. And these tulips, which were, they're already selling at a, at a premium, began rising and rising in price according to how the virus alterations were valued or desired by the people. And everyone began to deal in bulbs, essentially speculating on the tulip market, which many believed had no limits at all because it was rising and rising. The true bulb buyers, though, which were the garden centers of the past, they began to fill up their inventories for the growing season. So so what happened? Soon the prices started rising so fast and high that people were trading their land, their life savings, and anything else they could liquidate to get more tulip bulbs. Many, Many Dutch persisted in believing they would sell their hoard to hapless and unenlightened foreigners, thereby reaping enormous profits. Somehow, the originally overpriced tulips enjoyed a 20-fold increase in just a month. This was tulip craziness. And I know all of this sounds ridiculous to you, but it wasn't back in the late 1600s. And needless to say, the prices, they weren't accurate. They were not an accurate reflection of the value of the true tulip bulb. As it it happens in many speculative bubbles, some prudent people decided to sell and crystallize their profits. There were a few people that made a ton of money. 
But a domino effect of progressively lower and lower prices took place as everyone tried to sell while not many were buying. The price began to dive, causing people to panic and sell regardless of their losses. They just wanted to get out. Dealers refused to honor contracts and people began to realize they traded their homes for a piece of greenery, for a tulip, for a flower. This was panic and pandemonium and they were, this was prevalent throughout the land. The government even, they even decided to step in to halt the crash by offering people who had contracts for 10% of the face value, but then the market plunged even lower, which made that ridiculous, making such restitution impossible. No one emerged unscathed from the crash. Even people who had locked in their profit by getting out early suffered under the following depression that happened from tulip mania. I'm telling you, at the high, no one knows exactly what the price is, but at the high, people were selling their estates for one tulip bulb. At the low, tulip bulbs were worth no more than an onion. And as you can imagine, the effects of the tulip craze left the Dutch, and I am Dutch, by the way, very hesitant about speculative investments for quite some time. Investors that know about this tulip mania know that it's better to stop and smell the flowers and not to stake your future upon it. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. Bitcoin mania. To bit or not to bit? What should investors, what should you make of the Bitcoin mania? And are there any similarities between the Bitcoin mania and the tulip mania that I just described to you? And the reason I brought tulips up to begin with is because... Never in history has something gone up so fast as the Bitcoin has since when? The tulip mania. That's the last time something's gone up this quick, this fast. And we're going to unpack it today. Should I have Bitcoin in my portfolio? Because Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, they're receiving intense media coverage, prompting many investors, many of us to wonder whether these new types of electronic money deserve a place in our portfolios. I mean, daggone it, if they're doing so good, why don't I own some of it? You see, let's just get to what, what exactly this stuff is anyway. You know, cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency. These emerged only in the past decade. And unlike traditional money, there's no paper notes or no metal coins are involved. There's no central bank that's issuing the currency and no regulator or nation state stands behind it. Instead, cryptocurrencies are a form of code made by computers and stored in a digital wallet. In the case of Bitcoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency, there is a finite supply, 21 million Bitcoins, of which more than 16 are in circulation as of December of 2017. And transactions are recorded on a public ledger called a blockchain. So a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, it's, 
It's like any other currency. It's like the U.S. dollar in that it's used to buy and sell goods. It's a form of currency. In order for you to buy a Bitcoin, you would need to download an app or go to a place that actually buys and sells or has a market of Bitcoin, brings together buyers and sellers. Now, for much of the past decade, cryptocurrencies were the preserve of digital enthusiasts and people who believe the age of this regular currency that we have is coming to an end. You know, this niche appeal is reflected in the market value. For example, when I go to coindesk.com and search the price of Bitcoin, I see that one Bitcoin today appears to be worth, let me try and get this here, trying to find it, $11,564.95. That's what a Bitcoin is worth at present moment. It appears. That means if we multiply that number to the total value of the Bitcoin in circulation, it's less than 1% of the aggregate of all the value of global stocks and bonds. So we're talking about just a tiny slice of market value compared to all the stocks and bonds, the 14,000 stocks that are available on the, the stock market. Despite this, the sharp rise in the market value of Bitcoins over the past weeks and months have contributed to intense media attention. And let me go back to Bitcoin right now and give you an example. When I'm looking at the high price of Bitcoin, when I look, let me bring it back a little bit of time. When I'm looking at, it looks like on December 16th, Saturday, December 16th, one Bitcoin was worth $19,343. And now I just told you one is worth a little over $11,000. So do the math. It's taken a big plunge since it's high. But if I take it back a year ago today, a one Bitcoin was only worth $891. It has gone up and up and up. So what should I and what should you make to all this media attention? What place, if any, should Bitcoin play in a diversified portfolio? And I just showed you the value of Bitcoin went up like crazy, but that already is, it's the past. And what about its future value? And you can approach these questions in several ways, but a good place to begin is by examining the roles that stocks and bonds and cash play in your portfolio. Let's think about stocks for a second. Companies, we, they, they seek external sources of money to finance projects they believe will generate profits in the future. When a company issues stock, it offers investors, it offers you and me a 
a residual claim on its future profits. When a company issues a bond, it offers investors a promised stream of future cash flows, including the repayment of the principal when the bond matures. The price of a stock or bond reflects the recent investors' demand to exchange their cash today for an uncertain but hopefully greater amount of expected cash in the future. One important role these securities plays in a portfolio is to provide positive expected returns by allowing investors to share in the future profits earned by corporations globally. By investing in stocks and bonds today, you expect to grow your wealth and enable greater consumption tomorrow. That's the point. And government bonds often provide a more certain repayment of promised cash flows than corporate bonds. We're talking about risk here. Stocks are riskier than corporate bonds. Corporate bonds are riskier than government bonds. And each time we take less risk, we have a greater certainty of the future cash flows, but they're going to be smaller amount of future cash flows because we're taking on less risk. Holding cash now does not provide an expected stream of future cash flow. Think about the U.S. dollar. One U.S. dollar in your wallet today does not entitle you to more dollars in the future. The same logic applies to holding other currencies such as bitcoins in a digital wallet. So, we should not expect a positive return from holding cash in one or more currencies unless we can predict when one currency will appreciate or depreciate relative to others. And if you hold a diversified portfolio of stocks globally, you are participating already in currency diversification. That doesn't mean you own Bitcoin, though. The academic literature, though, overwhelmingly suggests that short-term currency movements are totally unpredictable, implying there is no reliable and systematic way to earn a positive return just by holding cash, regardless of its currencies. That's why in a global portfolio, we just hold all reliable currencies. Okay, so with the framework that I just gave, that I've just given you, One might argue that holding Bitcoin is like holding cash. It can be used to pay for some goods and services. However, most goods and services are not priced in Bitcoins. You couldn't go to the grocery store right now and pay in Bitcoins. A lot of volatility has occurred in the exchange rates between Bitcoins and traditional currencies. That volatility implies uncertainty, even in the near term. In the amount of future goods and services your Bitcoins can purchase. This uncertainty, combined with possibly high transaction costs to convert the Bitcoins into some usable currency, such as the U.S. dollar, suggests that the cryptocurrency currently falls short as a store of value to manage near-term known expenses. Of course, that could totally change in the future if it becomes common practice to pay for all goods and services using Bitcoins. If a Bitcoin is not currently practical as a substitute for cash, should we expect its value to appreciate? Which leads me to supply and demand. 
The price of a Bitcoin is tied to supply and demand. Although the supply of Bitcoins is slowly rising, it may reach an upper limit, which might imply limited future supply. The future supply of cryptocurrencies, however, may be very flexible as new types are developed and innovation and technology makes the cryptocurrencies close substitutes for one another, implying the quantity of future supply might be unlimited. See, that's the thing. In the, in the future of the Bitcoin, which is just one cryptocurrency, I told you there's, there's 21 million and that's it with 16 million in circulation right now. So we think there's a finite amount. But if these other cryptocurrencies, and there are a lot of them out there, if they combine into one and we start issuing more, there won't be a supply-demand thing going on. Because this future regulation adds to all this uncertainty. While recent media attention has Insured Bitcoin is more widely discussed today than in years past. I mean, a couple of years ago, did you even know that Bitcoin existed? It's still largely unused by most financial institutions. It has also been the subject of scrutiny by regulators, by the SEC in 2014, by other countries that are limiting trading in cryptocurrencies. That news alone this month has made... Bitcoin, among other things, probably dipped tremendously. I told you a month ago, just a month ago, a Bitcoin was worth $19,000 and now it's worth 11. That's a huge drop. If I bought 50 Bitcoins at its high at using average numbers here, not exact, 50 Bitcoins at 19,000, that would be $950,000 that I'm investing in Bitcoin. And today, my 950, less than a month later, is worth $550,000, a $400,000 drop. And I say this, but the opposite also has happened to a lot of people, probably people that you know, people that invested in Bitcoin months ago or maybe a year ago or two years ago, and now their very small investment is worth millions. But just like tulips, that usually happens to just a few people. So don't think that half of the people walking around are getting rich off of Bitcoin. But I know a guy very close, near and dear to me that just put a thousand bucks into Bitcoin. It wasn't even Bitcoin. It was a different cryptocurrency. And that 1000 is today worth 14000 And all I'm saying is that all the factors we talked about suggest that the future supply and demand are highly uncertain. So what, what should we expect? Should we expect the value of Bitcoins to continuously appreciate? Maybe. But just as with traditional currencies, there's no reliable way to predict by how much and when the appreciation will occur. We know, though, that we should not expect to receive more Bitcoins in the future just by holding one Bitcoin today, unlike holding stocks. 
They don't entitle holders to an expected stream of future Bitcoins, and they don't entitle the holder to a residual claim on future profits of global corporate of global corporations. None of this is to deny the exciting potential of the underlying blockchain technology that enables the trading of Bitcoins. That's a whole nother story. It is an, it's, what it is, though, is an open distributed ledger that can record transactions efficiently and in a verifiable and permanent way, which has significant implications for bankings and other industries in the future. Although this might take years to emerge, blockchain is big, but blockchain isn't Bitcoin. When it comes to designing a portfolio, though, the best place to start is with your goals. And with that approach, combined with an understanding of the characteristics of each security you're in is a great framework to start with. So, for example, when you're building your stock portfolio, we take into account that the market weight or the value of all the stocks in the United States are a little over 50% of all stock value, with the other countries worth less than 50% on reliable stock exchanges. So if I'm going to build a portfolio, I don't want to have 100% of my stocks that I own in the U.S. because now I'm totally neglecting the 48% or so that are in all the other countries. I want more of an equal weighting between the two. Now, when we build portfolios, we do have a home bias and we tend to tilt a little bit more towards the U.S., but we still want to make sure that we're building in a way that we incorporate a percentage or a slice of each country or asset class that represents the whole. Why am I saying all this? Because if you believe Bitcoin is well-suited for your portfolio and you want to hold it as a percentage of other eligible investments, well, then we want to hold the percentage that Bitcoin actually represents. And as I stated earlier, Bitcoin only represents a tiny value compared to stocks, bonds, and traditional currency, less than 1%. So if for some reason you believe Bitcoin is a good investment, then I believe that the weight in a well-diversified portfolio of Bitcoin should be generally very, very tiny, as in 1% or less of the total value of your portfolio. But I don't believe that Bitcoin belongs in your portfolio, period. That doesn't mean you shouldn't own some. It means I don't think that it, it should belong in your long-term goals at all. It's way too risky right now. There's way too much volatility. It doesn't offer profits. It doesn't offer to multiply the Bitcoin. It all has to do with supply and demand. Now... 
I would say, though, that maybe if you have some money that's lying around that you were thinking about going to Las Vegas with anyway, planning on losing it all, that maybe you want to put a couple hundred dollars in, into some sort of cryptocurrency. But treat it as a gamble. And if you make money, awesome. And if you don't, you're expecting to lose anyway. Just like if you were headed to Vegas today with money to gamble. You don't expect to win. At least I hope you don't. It's entertainment value. That's what this Bitcoin should be. And if you end up hitting the jackpot, awesome. Or any cryptocurrency. I really hope that that helps in looking at the overall Bitcoin and because it's just such a big part of what's going on in the news today. But hey, I'm running out of time, but I just wanted you guys to, or I wanted to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We made it to episode 100 on the Best in Wealth podcast. And the only reason we have is because you continue to listen and listenership goes up. If nobody was listening, well, I might still do the podcast because I love to listen to my own voice, but that's a separate problem that I have. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. We hit a milestone on Best in Wealth podcast. We hit episode number 100. I hope everyone has an extra awesome week this week and I will see you on a flip side. Bye-bye, everyone. The Best in Wealth Podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance with compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth Podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.